0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, um, to say that this is how I expected to be celebrating the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, would be a total lie. Um, I don't think that's a big surprise, but I do thank you all for your prayers on our behalf. This is, um, not only is this the most 2020 fourth Sunday of Advent uh, that we could have imagined, um, the text that we're going to look at uh, in the Gospel of Mark this morning totally follows suit. Uh, this is not at all the text uh, I would have imagined um, yeah. preaching on uh, the last Sunday before Christmas. Uh, so we're going to look at Mark chapter 13 this morning in its entirety. Um, I don't usually like taking a big bite, uh, this big a bite at least, but this entire chapter is focused on the same thing. Uh, and it's not... Focused on the first advent of Christ, but it is focused on the second advent of Christ. And that's the hope that we have to look forward to. Uh, and during this pandemic, I've been asked more than once, uh, if I thought we were nearing the end, if the, if the, the events of today are signs of the times, the craziness of our times, um, if this is, if we're getting closer to the end, well, the truth of the matter is we're, we're a lot closer to the end uh, than we used to be, um, but that's about the best I can do for you. Um, I'm not sure I've always given the best answer to these questions, um, at least on the spot. Do uh, you want to take the battery out of that? <laughs> <laughs> um I'm not sure I've always given the best answer to the question um, on the spot at least, but after studying this passage um, this week, I I think I have a a better response. Um, What if the events of this past year were signs of the times? What if what if we are nearing the end? What if Jesus were to come back today or tomorrow? My response to the question is, so what? What would, what would be the difference? What if today is today? Um, and I think that's how I'm going to answer the question from now on. Um, do I think we're near the end? Let me ask you, what if we are? That's the question I think we need to keep in mind as we look at Mark 13 and uh work our way through uh what the scholars call uh the Olivet Discourse. You can impress your friends with uh we studied the Olivet Discourse this summit. Uh I can tell you all about it. Um, Mark just gives you a uh, gives us a small piece of it. Um, Matthew and Luke both parallel uh, this this discourse as well. You can look that up on your own, Matthew twenty-four and twenty-five. And Luke 21. Uh, but instead of reading the whole um, uh, reading the whole passage like I usually do, I want to just look at it uh, a chunk at a time, so we don't uh, get ahead of ourselves and and start tripping over uh, all these different ideas. So let's begin with verses one and two of Mark 13. I give you the number in the pew Bible, but I don't think that would be all that helpful. Mark 13 verses 1 and 2. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now remember that Jesus had been teaching in the temple and had spent uh, time being confronted by the Jewish leaders in the temple courts. Uh, this takes place on uh, Tuesday of Holy Week. And they're leaving the temple and they're on their way across the valley uh, and up the side of the Mount of Olives. They call it a mountain. It's kind of a hill, but um, not, not quite as much of a mountain as we're sitting on right now. But... From the Mount of Olives across that valley, there is a there's a wonderful view. You can see the whole city of Jerusalem, uh, and right at the center of your attention uh is the Temple Mount. Um, right now, today, there is uh um, the Dome of the Rock it sits in that place There's a huge golden dome that you can't help but see. So we have to remember. That the temple was still, it remained very important to the disciples at this point. Um, It was still the center of all things religious to them. And they clearly still admired the buildings. Um, I'm sure it truly was a sight to behold. I I have had the great privilege of seeing the model city of Jerusalem, uh, which which is in Israel, and there is a model of the temple, but it only stands about this high. Uh, but it's really neat. I, um, anybody that's gone to Vicks has had a chance to see that um, in the Holy Lands. Um, but thinking about this focus on the temple itself, I can't help but think about Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The woman says to Jesus, our our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I think the destruction of the temple was necessary. Um, it was necessary in order to free believers in Jesus, to truly worship him in spirit and truth, to, to remove from them the monument, to release them from a potential idol. Going to the Temple Mount is a wonderful experience, uh, and it's powerful thinking of the history. Um, but that's not the place where God lives, um, and I think that's exactly why the temple needed to be destroyed. Um, and unfortunately, though the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, uh, the church has found a way to potentially walk back that freedom by constructing millions of little temples all over the world with nice white steeples um, that we can worship instead. That's a danger that we face. In verses 3 and 4, when Jesus and the disciples go to the Mount of Olives, the disciples ask Jesus about the destruction of the temple uh, because it was concerning to them. Verse 3 says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? I don't think this is a, an unreasonable line of questioning. Jesus just told them that the thing that sat in the middle of the Jewish universe was going to be destroyed. And it's only natural that they would want to know uh when and how. They, they would want to know when it was about to happen. But when is an interesting question. But it's the wrong question. But it's interesting nonetheless. What would... What would knowing when do for them? We we want to know when these things will happen. We want to know when uh, Christ will return. Why? So that we have a sense of control, right? That we've got a handle on things. We know Jesus is coming back on Thursday, so we can get XYZ done before that. Well, like uh, just like most of the times that Jesus had been asked questions... Uh, over the last few days. He didn't answer this question the way anybody expected him to answer either. Let's look at verse 5. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus' first words here, his first word is see. See that no one leads you astray. This is from a Greek word, blepo. which is fun to say, but it means watch out. Be on your guard. Be aware. Watch out for false Christs. Do not be deceived by them. Do not be led astray. And there are many people who have come in the name of Jesus and deceived people and led them away from the true Christ. We can always tell a false teacher is false, Because they don't teach the things that Jesus taught. They do not stay true to His Word. We have the Bible as our standard and we can measure all teachers by it. False teachers make major doctrines out of minor differences and trick people into worshiping the Creator rather than the Creator. And Jesus says, watch out. Do not be led astray. When we hear of wars and rumors of wars, nations rising against nations and kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes and famines, what does Jesus instruct? He says, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. These are the things we think about when we think about the, 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 the The time coming to an end. The end is near. There's wars and and rumors of wars. What is rumors of wars? That must mean the internet, right? Because we can't we can't tell if it's (laughs) true, right? Um, What that must be what he meant by all of that. Well, maybe so. What's his instruction? Don't be alarmed. Don't be led astray. These things must happen, but the end is not yet. This statement, wars and rumors of war, has been applied to every war the world has ever fought. <laughs> do not be alarmed. The end is not yet. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus' warning goes on in verse 9. Not just to watch out. Not just to not be deceived. do not be led astray. But also, verse 9, be on your guard which is an extension of the same Greek word, blepo, watch out for yourselves. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. These words of Jesus have been fulfilled And are still being fulfilled to this day. In the book of Acts we can witness the Apostle Paul brought before governors and kings. And what does he do? He testifies in the name of Jesus. He testifies and proclaims the gospel. And this has been going on since the very birth of the church. And it will continue. All of the apostles were martyred. Families have been torn apart over the name of Jesus. Even today, we can talk about God in public forums. We can talk about spirituality, but mention the name of Jesus, and it's all over. This is not new. This has been going on from the beginning. Jesus said in verse 13, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But yet what does he call his disciples to do? (coughs) He calls us to faithfully endure. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now there are those that say, well this, he's talking about the tribulation and this must, this is what he means, the tribulation. You have to endure to the end of the tribulation in order to be saved. That's not what he meant. He didn't mean endure to the end of the tribulation. He meant endure to the end of their natural lives, whether they're martyred or not. He calls us to the same faithful endurance. I love the comfort that comes from verse 11. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. In their most desperate hour, when the disciples are brought to trial, they didn't need to be anxious about what they were going to say. They didn't need a memorized speech. The Holy Spirit would speak through them, giving them words to say. I feel the same way every week when I prepare uh, to share with you on Sunday morning. It's the Holy Spirit that's speaking. I wonder, do you think, do you think their anxiety stopped them from testifying? Do you think their worry and their concern and fear for their lives kept them from testifying? I can say for these men it didn't. And we too can trust the Holy Spirit to speak through us, no matter the opposition. Jesus continued his warning in verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the house, who is is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. (laughs) And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, He shortened the days. Uh, The phrase uh, abomination of desolation comes from the book of Daniel and refers to the pollution of the temple by the Gentiles. The the temple was defiled in 167 BC by the Syrian king Antiochus IV when he sacrificed a pig uh, on the altar and poured its blood uh, poured, poured its blood out there. And this event was predicted in Daniel eleven thirty-one. But that's not the only time. Um, the temple was also defiled by the Romans in AD 70 when they captured and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. However, these events were but anticipations of the final abomination of desolation, desolation predicted here by Jesus and prophesied in Daniel 9, 27, and 12, 11. This is a different time. And times will never be worse than they will be then. But the Father in his grace will cut the time short for the sake of the elect, for the sake of his church. Verse 21 says, And, if, and then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possible, the elect. But be on your guard. There's our word leppo again. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Does this sound like a Christmas sermon? (laughs) Well, it is. Jesus' first advent is a foretaste of his second advent. His first advent was in humility. Remember, advent means coming. His first coming was in humility. His second coming will be in power and great glory. (laughs) And if you've ever wondered about the rapture, here it is. It won't be a secret disappearance of the church, as some might have you believe, or you might have read about in books, poof, all of a sudden, all the Christians are gone and nothing left behind but their clothes. Uh, That that's wrong, that's false <coughs> verse twenty seven and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. that's the church he's gathering that's that's the rapture. I don't like that word it's based on a Latin word, not Greek or Hebrew, and the word rapturo means changed, not disappeared not float away, it means changed. Paul wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians 4:15 17 or 15 through17. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's going to be a great day. Of course, the disciples would want to know when. Of course, we would want to know when. Jesus said in verse 28, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation, meaning the people who were living at that time when those things take place, that generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, lepo, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Watch out, be on your guard, pay attention, do not be deceived, keep awake. Do you think this instruction is an answer to the question, when will all these things be? No. When is not the right question. What should we do until that day? That's the question. And that's the question that Jesus answered. Pay attention. Don't be deceived. Be vigilant and trust him. So my question for you if you knew that these things would take place, if you knew the day that that would happen, would anything in your life change? Our instruction is to live as if today is the day. Be on your guard. Watch out. Stay vigilant. Stay awake. Trust in Him. Amen? Amen. I'd like to close in a song and then we'll pray. This has become my favorite Christmas song. Uh, it doesn't feel like Christmas until we sing it. It also really hurts the play.
1: Oh, okay. yeah, okay.
0: prayer that the king of heaven would return we look forward to that day lord we know that you have all things in hand and we can trust you we pray father that you would give us the strength to heed this call this morning to stay awake to stay alert to be vigilant to trust you father that's the only way that we can survive these times We pray, Lord, for your help in doing so. And Lord, whatever way that we're able to celebrate your first Advent this week, I pray you would give us wisdom that you would protect and guard us and that we would keep our eyes open for your second Advent and we would be faithful as if today is the day When today is the day, we're motivated to share your love. We're motivated to share your gospel. We're motivated to share the truth that God loves our neighbors. That you sent your son out of your great love to die in our place. To die the death that we deserve. What a great gift that is. I pray, Lord, that we would freely give that gift to those around us in this Christmas season. As we celebrate the feast around the tree, unwrapping presents, may our focus not drift so far away from you, but to remember that you are that great gift, that gift that we can share with everyone around us. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in your church this morning here and around the world. Be blessed, our Father. We love you, and we thank you. We pray all this in the holy name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossofie, New Hampshire, 03890.